0: So here in the Gospel of Mark, it seems like Jesus and the Gospel had just taken a drastic look. And this is why Mark records this event. As the church that he was writing to were under the rule of Caesar Nero. And as as I constantly said here, Caesar Nero, he was a tyrant who sought to destroy the early church and we see that this early church would have faced persecution such as they had enemies plotting against them their enemies had no reason for their destruction but only wanted to destroy them because they followed Jesus and they spoke of the gospel now we see in Mark Jesus persecution did not just up and start here and there but it was brewing from the time that Jesus began his ministry. In Mark chapter three, verse six, we see the Pharisees and the Herodians, they come together and they decide that they would destroy this man named Jesus. But what reason did they have to destroy Jesus? According to the Pharisees, in Mark chapter two, verse seven, Jesus had just blasphemed, for he had forgiven sins. In Mark chapter 2, verse 24, Jesus and his disciples brought the Sabbath, as they plucked grain. These were two of the cases that they brought against Jesus, as they justified their works of wanting to see the Savior dead. However, strangely enough, the time that they came might lead one to ask, did they truly believe that Jesus was wrong in his actions? For if a man breaks the law, doesn't the police come at the moment that they can, despite the beliefs of the citizens? Prior to this moment in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Pharisees and the Herodians, Herodians had numerous times to actually arrest Jesus. In Mark chapter 12, verse 12, it records one of the times that they had. It shows the opportunity that the Pharisees had to arrest Jesus but chose not because they feared the crowd's response. Yet, in chapter 14, it seems like this is the perfect time to arrest Jesus. They came with a large crowd in the darkness of night and held the Savior. No crowds were there who were for Jesus. So these actions of the Jews might remind us of a verse in John, John chapter 3, verse 19, and it says, The light, referring to Jesus, has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. You see, the Pharisees try to put the light of the world out because he showed up their darkness. Jesus basically showed up their sin. As verse 20 of John chapter 3 continues and says, the light exposes the works of men. Jesus showed that the Jews were self-righteous, that they were lost, that they observed the traditions of men above the commandments of God and that their father was actually Satan. They did not know of God. They did not know the Lord. Therefore, this Jesus, they had to get rid of him. They had to destroy him. This was the true reason in Mark chapter 3, verse 6, that they actually plotted to kill Jesus. He exposed their sin. And this is why they came by night with no one around. They had no moral reason. They could not justify their actions, but they only hated the light. Similarly, today sinners do the exact same thing. They don't try to kill Jesus because he has risen, he's not here in bodily form and he's with the Father, but they try to stumble the light. They try to get rid of the gospel because they have evil works to hide. They aim to dissuade the authenticity of Scripture by saying it has been changed up so many times. We can't know if this Jesus actually existed or the claims that he made within the gospel if they're actually true. They want any reason, even if it's illogical or irrational, not to believe just to protect their evil works. If this is you, If you are outside of Christ's curtain, if you have been trying to think of any reason not to believe Jesus is Lord and Jesus is Savior, this is futile. The light is in the world and He is exposing the works of men. All people will be held accountable and responsible by the light, and all your works are bare before His eyes all the evil words spoken will be held against you. No one will be able to say, well, Jesus, you're wrong. Jesus, I didn't say this because Jesus doesn't only hear your words, but he sees your heart. Everyone will be held accountable. Jesus is the perfect judge. He knows all of our wrongs. So instead of seeking to destroy Jesus or get rid of the gospel from your ears, listen and hear that Jesus does receive sinners. He does expose your wicked works, but he also is the one who can cover them and forgive your sins. He is not a judge who knows all your works and seeks to hold it against you, giving you no hope. But a judge who stepped off the throne and holds the penalty for sin. So come to this good judge, for he does receive sinners. Yes. To the believer, know that though you live in a world that seeks to get rid of the gospel, that seeks to stomp out this light, that seeks to destroy Jesus by any means necessary, the light of the world will never go dim. Though the Jews sought to destroy Jesus, He rose and defeated death. And likewise today there are many who are throughout the world proclaiming the gospel although it is causing them hardship. So if you are mocked by your co-workers, by your friends, by your family for preaching the gospel, preach on If persons seek to slander you and destroy your witness as a disciple of Christ, continue to proclaim the gospel. Just as the death of Jesus brought about an unlikely victory, the hardship that you are facing will also bring about God's will and God's glory. So this leads me to my second point. The kingdom of God comes through an unnatural method. So throughout history are numerous war pictures. We see that one factor sometimes that aids the winner in winning the war is having a large force on their side. And this can be um, a large force in weapons or a large force in men. The side with the larger force usually dominates and is able to bring their authority or their rule upon their enemies. When we think about a kingdom, we can think about someone coming and establishing their authority over a people using force. So this is, a, this is common in the history of man. In Mark chapter 1 verse 15, we see this is the first thing that Jesus speaks about, the kingdom of God. Jesus comes from Galilee, comes to Galilee, and he proclaims that the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. In Mark chapter 4 verse 26 and Mark chapter 4 verse 30, it portrays the kingdom of God as a man who scatters seed and then sees a large harvest, not understanding how it grew. And in verse 30 is compared to a mustard seed. It is small in size, but when it grows, it becomes larger than all other plants. I don't want to pick on the Jehovah's Witness as we as Jonathan mentioned them this morning, but they have a worldview that they believe that the kingdom of God would look like followers of Jesus establishing a government here and now on earth and therefore ruling through it. Through moral and biblical leadership, they are able to bring bring God's kingdom here. However, even Jesus said that his kingdom is not of this world in John chapter 18. R.C. Sproul speaks about the kingdom of God and he says the kingdom is that territory over which a king reigns. Since we understand that God is creator of all things, the extent of his realm must be the whole world. Manifestly, then, the kingdom of God is wherever God reigns, and since he reigns everywhere, the kingdom of God is everywhere. Narrowly, no, speaking of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is Jesus' sovereign rule in the hearts and the money of sinners. Now, this is not what the kingdom of God is in its totality, but speaking from a narrow perspective. That instead of your will ruling you, are the God of this world, which is Satan, having authority over you, that Jesus would reign in your heart and mind. See, this reign is in the hearts of men. It's not one that is established by force, but through being obedient to the will of God. You see, the Pharisees and the disciples approach what they believe to be establishing authority differently. In verse 43, you see that the Pharisees believe to be, we see what the Pharisees believe to be them establishing their authority and destroying Jesus' influence by a crowd coming at night to destroy Jesus. The disciples had quite a similar view, and in verse 47, this is why Peter struck the enemies of Jesus, thinking, I must protect the king, and this is the best way I know how to. None of these actions, the crowd coming by night, or Peter defending Jesus, hampered or protected the kingdom of God what established the kingdom of god was jesus doing the will of the father so we see jesus a few verses before he says let this cup pass from me but not my will your will be done was the prayer of him jesus went to the cross further established the kingdom of god jesus went into the temple as verse 48 says and teaching aided in establishing the kingdom of god by preaching and not by brute force now what does this mean for us believers aid in the expansion of the kingdom of god not through crusades as practiced by the roman catholic church not through the undermining of the intelligence of non-believers and insulting them and belittling their thoughts but through preaching of the gospel the bible indeed is our weapon of choice as we aid in the advancement of the kingdom of God. So we should not think that if we could answer all the objections, all the questions from our kids, our work colleagues, our neighbors, as a means by which we bring them into the kingdom. But like Jesus did, as he met with the Jews in the temple, we should be faithful to the word of God and proclaim the gospel and say that which is true. In this day and age, we have those who will seek to add to the kingdom of God through false messages, such as the prosperity gospel, promising if you come, you'll get health, wealth, and prosperity. Or we might think to share a gospel in which God is not just a peacemishness, Sharing of Jesus' love and sacrifice, but not sharing of sin and punishment of sin, and hoping that listeners would like love this Jesus. People who seem like they are won to the kingdom through lies and deceit are actually still just sinners dead in their sin. In fact, they might even be worse off because they think they are believers. If we use this method to advance the kingdom of God, we are actually doing them a disservice. Finally, the kingdom of God comes through obedience and not force. In this passage, Jesus is seen watching and praying as we looked at last week, being aware of what was about to take place while calling his disciples not to be lazy and unaware but to be alert and to be in prayer. You see that Jesus is obedient by proclaiming the gospel in the midst of those who would destroy him in verse 49. It says that he was with his enemies day after day in the temple. They were in the midst of the crowd hearing the gospel message, hearing the call to repent and to believe for the kingdom of God was at hand. Jesus is obedient in allowing himself to be taken for the purpose of crucifixion, rather than retaliating against his enemies. Now what does this say, understanding Jesus is obedient, what does this say to us when men hate us and lie upon us and revile us and say all manner of evil against us due to the fact that we proclaim the gospel and we are followers of Christ? I summed it up in two points. First, what we are facing does not always end in a manner that you think it should or would end. Good things happen to believers and we praise and we rejoice to the Lord when good things happen, but also bad things. Believers at times escape attacks from persons who are against the gospel and at other times they don't. They lose relationships, possessions, jobs, for the sake of the gospel. And this is what Jesus told his disciples a while ago, and this is why Mark regards this portion to the early church, that they would not be surprised when they're attacked. There is a possibility you will lose things. Losing things and following Jesus, it goes hand in hand. So do not be surprised. Jesus lost his freedom and then his life as he was arrested and this could possibly be your lot. We could lose our lives. However the second point this passage does tell us to understand that God is sovereign. He is over your suffering and hardship. He has ordained it and is not meaningless. Just as Jesus's suffering brought about something good For sinners are able to enter into the kingdom of God, your suffering caused by the fact that you preach Christ may bring about a large harvest. It may bring about disciples from those who didn't even think were listening, or even those who were once your persecutors. In order for us to aid in the advancement of the kingdom of God, we must follow and respond to our opposers as Jesus did not by taking out our swords and cutting off their ears, but by staying true to the word and responding in a manner that is worthy of the gospel.